Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in the last few years, a lot of our freedoms that we enjoy in America have been questioned as to whether they have limitations to them or whether they are unfairly limited. I'll give you some examples. The freedom of speech is there so that we can feel free to criticize the government whenever we want to. But does the freedom of speech extend to us being able to say any sort of hate-inspiring words we want to, to publish them on the Internet, which is now anybody's ability? Is that freedom of speech? Can we lie in order to deceive, whether it is in business or politics or anything else? Is that freedom of speech? Then how about the right to bear arms? Somebody feels that they live in a dangerous area and they want the right to uh, something to defend themselves, like a handgun. They can have that. Somebody's a hunting um, aficionado, wants to have a, a rifle of some sort. They can have that. The question comes in, how about, how about automatic or semi-automatic weapon? What's that good for? Well, apparently it's good for killing a bunch of people in a bowling alley or shooting a bunch of kids in a school. Is it really necessary for anything else? Is it there for armed uprising against the government? Is that what the right to bear arms was all about in the beginning? And then assembly. We can get together in large groups long we are blocking traffic, and you can even do that if you get the right permits. It's to get together and have whatever you want, concerts, sharing of ideas, whatever. Does freedom of assembly extend to creating a riotous mob that will destroy people's property and loot? Is that freedom of assembly? And I could go on. Freedom of religion certainly falls under this category as well. But I'd like for you to note the one thing in common between all those examples I gave that, that naturally sort of limits those other freedoms. What messes up the freedom of speech? What messes up the bearing of arms? What messes up the freedom of assembly? And I come back with the answer, sinful nature messes it up. Beings with sinful nature... And it's all the human beings I know. At some point can't handle the freedoms that they have. They remain bonded to sinful nature. And that's what Jesus is really talking about in our gospel lesson. That is what the gospel is about. That is what the Reformation was about is how does God help us to deal with sin? Because we certainly don't have the ability to change it ourselves. I mean, at its base, what is sinful nature? We know from Scripture, Paul says it's part of our flesh. Not part of your soul, part of your flesh. We know from David in the Psalms that it's there from the moment we're conceived 
The Bible doesn't go out and say, well, this is in your DNA, but I think it's pretty safe to say that that is exactly where it is. And it's not just one spot. If that were the case, then we could say, hey, maybe we can do some gene therapy and get rid of sinful nature. But to this date, our ability to do gene therapy isn't that we know what the right code is. We just know this works, so we put it back in here where the part that doesn't work, that fixes it. We don't speak the language, really. And sinful nature, I'm sure, isn't just one little spot. It's dispersed among us, and we're all messed up. And there's consequences to that. And you live amongst those consequences every day. The whole news is about those consequences. All that messed up stuff that we see in the world or that we experience, it all ties back to that. And you know what? That's not even the worst part. The worst part is that being a sinner and having a sinful nature will, does, get you in trouble with God's law. And God's law will damn you for it. Today is Reformation Sunday. Martin Luther, you know, as, once he became a monk, he was an unusual monk in some respects. He took it seriously. <laughs> he looked at himself. And what he saw was sin. And he was of the impression, given his upbringing, that, that he had to fix those things himself. So he tried. He beat himself. He wore itchy clothing. He laid on the ground and slept on, on the rock floor. He went all kinds of places, and none of it helped. And his, his own overseer was worried that he'd be self-destructive. He understood the law. He wasn't wrong. He didn't, at that point, understand the gospel. Not everybody's like Luther, a lot of people, a lot of people, they don't hardly feel their sin at all. Even in Luther's time, there were people who were monks, they were partying it up. In fact, there's one statistic that suggests that in, in one state of, of Italy, one part of the papal states at that time, that one in five children were the children of clergy who were supposed to have been celibate. So they apparently weren't feeling it too much. They thought, hey, I can sin. Hey, I can go to church. I can do the things, the masses, and therefore I can clean myself off. They had very clear in their head what I call the car wash model of, of sin, that that's all God cares about, that you go through the car wash especially the last time before you die, and then you're good. And that is a false model at its very core. The misunderstanding of our problem with sin is, is age old. 
In our gospel lesson, Jesus was dealing with people who didn't understand their problem. And if you can read it, which I can barely because of my eyesight, if you look at Romans 8, not just the part that's in the readings, but, but the, the bigger context. So if you look at John 8, rather, did I say Romans? John 8, and you start at verse 12, and you go even beyond our reading, um, all the way through 39. You can do that, not, you don't have to do it now, but just, you can peruse it now. You will see a conversation between Jesus and a large group of Jewish leadership. And I will confess, this is a confusing conversation. Jesus seems to be unusually cryptic in how he's responding to them. And they're responding with a certain degree of confusion. But, Surprisingly enough, right in the middle and right before our our gospel reading, it says that some of the Jews started putting their faith in him. What was the conversation about? Here's sort of my transcript of it. Jesus was telling them that he is indeed both the Son of God and the Messiah and has always maintained so. And he has two witnesses of that, his own and his fathers. And they were confused about, how can you say the father? Who's your father? And he's talking about the miracles that he's done. They are witnesses to to who I am. They are the father's works. And because of that, they they are, are struggling because they don't see those miracles as the Father's works. They don't know what is the nature of, of those miracles. Some people, though, are starting to get it, and they start to put their hope in it. And then it comes to our gospel lesson, and here's the part that always confounded me. Who's he talking to now? It says right at the beginning, to the Jews who had believed him. He wasn't talking to the ones that didn't. He's talking to the ones that did. And he says to them, and this is the most important verse of it all, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But this group who believes what he said so far says, we are Abraham's children. We have never been slaves of anyone. And that has always got me like, what kind of education do you have you had? Good grief. If you're talking about political freedom, your people since Abraham have been slaves for 350 years in Egypt, and then another concise 70 if you're just from the south in Babylon, if you're from the north, you're not even here to hear my conversation, right? You're dispersed. So the people of Israel have been slaves. And oh, by the way, who is your government right now? The Romans, not you. So if you're talking about that, you are very ill-informed. I don't know where you've been. But if you're talking about spiritual bondage, you're even worse. 
You don't understand the nature of who and what you are. You are relying on the, on the simple thin fact that you are genetically related to Abraham. And that's not going to get you anywhere when it comes to God's judgment. God's judgment is against sin. And if you are a captive to sin, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And they did not understand. If you follow this reading a little further into the next paragraph that's after our gospel reading, he says to that group, not to the other people who did not believe him, but to the people who did believe him, you are children of the devil. Wow. That's not how you make friends, right? You are children of the devil. But before you say, wow, he really nailed them, where do you come into this conversation? What's your problem? Sinful nature. Where'd you get it from? My parents, where did they get it from? Their parents. And we could do this for quite a while. But where did it come from originally? The devil. So who's your daddy? The devil. You are children of Satan. In that regard. So that's a disturbing thing. And nobody likes to hear that. And they didn't like to hear that. So they got very upset about that. Today, if you go to people, do you think they understand that? Do they understand the gravity of what it means for them? Not just for their life, but certainly for life after death. Do they get it? A lot of people think that either you just die and you're gone. Or other people think, eh, it's just going to work out. Everybody ends up in heaven. It's just going to work out. Man, that is, that is a very nonchalant attitude about a very serious topic. I, I don't worry about it. I'll worry about it when I die. That's a little bit late to be worrying about it. Wouldn't you think? So people don't understand this. It's imperative that you understand it. And it's imperative that we help others to understand it because there is a solution. We went right through it. When the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. Now, what does that mean? I, I could call it adoption. Adoption by your heavenly father. Maybe it's better described as finally getting back to your real father. Satan stole you from the cradle in a way. God is your ultimate creator. God is meant to be your father. God wants to be your father. And that's why he did what he did. The church throughout the ages has understood that Jesus is very important and that there is salvation through him. But there has been many things that they have put kind of as roadblocks in the way where it is meant to be 
grace. Grace to you. You are saved by a gift. You add nothing. You go through no middleman. And eventually, that will also mean the end of your sinful nature. You will die and leave it behind, but you will be resurrected and never have it again. And that is how God settles it. Would I, you know, suggest one upgrade that, that as soon as we are baptized, we're done with sinful nature? That would have made parenting a lot easier. But this is how it must be, and this is how it is. There is salvation in Christ. There is complete change, and it is coming. And it will be finally complete for you when you do resurrect from the dead. You'll be a major upgrades when you leave this earth. In fact, there can be major upgrades even now. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and you can drive sinful nature into the smallest corner possible. You have... The ability to have a whole new sense of yourself. And maybe if you've known the gospel all your life, you've never felt this way. But a lot of people on this planet, and I mean the vast majority of people on this planet, who believe in God at all, are out there trying to save themselves, right? They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to curry favor. That's how they live. I barely understand that. I've never felt that way because Christ has got a hold of me. I know that my salvation rests on what? On Christ the solid rock. Not on the sinking sand of my self-discipline. Thank God for that. I know that doesn't work, just like Luther. So you have a new sense. I am somebody that's going to have Eternal life with God. I have it already. I am a representative of God. That's who I am. And I can say that because I've been set free, really set free by Jesus Christ. But it is to that sense of freedom, that true freedom, that Satan still works very hard. To keep us captive. So hard to keep people ignorant of Christ. So hard to keep people who are already set free, still following sinful nature as much as possible. Do not give that being any consolation prize. Because he cares not for you. But God cares for you. Your Father cares for you. And may you live free. In Jesus' name, amen.